Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 157, A Matter of Perspective. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek. Then we watch it again. Then we talk about it, pulling it apart from messages that might echo through the ages. This week, the episode, A Matter of Perspective. And I will say, John, I have a real problem with this episode. I can't tell uh, if the issues covered in it are small or just really far away. Boom! Thank you. Jared, historian in me, comes out. It's a perspective uh, joke, ladies and uh-huh. gentlemen, is what that is. It's very, it's yeah. also kind of throws back to a Stephen Wright joke that I remember from when I was a kid. There's just so mm-hmm. much about this that I, yeah. See, I, I could think of other words, other adjectives to modify the word joke hmm. uh, that, that don't involve the word perspective. Well, I would love to. I would love to do that, John. But yeah, <laughs> I don't think we have time, right? Oh, now because, oh, because okay. oh, I, I got to give. A, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's well, you know, because here's the thing. Oh, you can you can do that if you want to, but then we run out of time for trivia. You see, oh, and, oh. and I know people are waiting for trivia. Fair you enough. Know, and like me, I think we probably actually like me and two other people. They probably uh, uh, stopped laughing enough now that they can hear the next thing that we're going to say. Uh, like uh, like I'm going to give out the contact information first of all. Mission log pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter if you want to, you know, share some thoughts with us. Mission Log Pod is the place to do that. You can leave us a voicemail at 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents and places to leave comments, is missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, without further ado... All three of you. It's John Champion's Trivia. <laughs> Ken, today's episode, A Matter of Perspective, is written by Ed Zuckerman. Now, uh, Ed Zuckerman, it may not surprise you to know, went on to write a lot of procedural courtroom shows. Hmm. I know. Shocking, right? <laughs> shocking. shocking. It is indeed. Uh, but really, uh, the, the story here was knocked together by the, the writing team at the time. So Ed Zuckerman, we credit the original idea, but it was actually the, the writing staff that we've kind of talked about. And Ronald D. Moore says that it was his first assignment as a staff writer to do the, you know, kind of ground up rebuild of this episode. Now, Michael Piller was not totally sold on the outcome, saying that it was a nightmare to finalize the script. And, uh, and it's kind of difficult to shoot as well. Uh, Cliff Bull, who directed this, mentions that with all the different setups and trying to keep track of the repeated scenes, just not a whole lot of fun. Uh, but I t- will uh, tell you what is fun, Ken, and that is seeing our old friend, the regular one space station back in fine form here. Yeah. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas around this place. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very exciting <laughs> to see. Indeed. Old regular one. And um, there's a lot of talk in this episode about uh, the Krieger waves. And uh, no, it's not just a tribute to the sweet jams done by the Doors guitarist. No, no, no. The Krieger wave was named for David Krieger, who was the scientific consultant at this time for Star Trek. He worked on seasons three and four. Now, after Trek, he went on to do a quite a bit of web development work, including a long stint in software at Sony Pictures. And he is currently the, quote, infrastructure guy at Nest. And those are the people who make those cool thermostats and smoke detectors and other <laughs> connected home devices. As we record this now. As we record this right now. Yes, because people right. listening to this like 10, 15 years from now could be the ones who are like, oh, yes, the ones who brought us Skynet. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right now, well, though, Nest know, is awesome. 
I would say as we record, Nest is still a relatively new-ish company, yep. and um, and I think they're super cool. Um, so <laughs> maybe I will change my tune in 10 years. We will find out. Maybe you will when John Connor starts his podcast. Right. You may say, right. wow, yeah, I, I feel bad now that I promoted Nest. You're not promoting it, by the way. This is not, not a promoting, promotion. I'm just no, saying no, that no, it's, no, it's a, just a, a fact of a matter. Right, right, Although right. me saying that it's cool, they, they now owe us that. Um, <laughs> Now, Ken, uh, many things have been said about. I love. Wait, I'm sorry. I love that. Yeah. I love that as our revenue model. That's that's fantastic. Isn't that it? We you know, say you know what else I love it. is Coke Zero. Oh man, <laughs> I, that's great. So, so send them a bill now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also love Tesla. So, uh... <laughs> oh, we're doing a trade deal. Oh okay. yeah, okay. totally. Okay, totally. my okay. Anyway, you were saying uh-huh. go. Yeah. yeah. All right, so uh, much has been said about influence on this particular episode, the storyline, where that came from. And uh, Rashomon is one that jumps out. Have you seen Rashomon, Ken? I have not. Okay, so Rashomon is a movie from 1950, directed by Akira Kurosawa and starring Toshiro Mufune. Um, It is a story told from multiple perspectives. So you you have the idea that you, you actually follow the same story but told by four different people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, great idea. And, yes, that, that, that makes sense. And it is one of the kind of all-time great movies uh, ever, ever released. So I definitely encourage people to check it out. But here's the thing. I mean, just to say that because you have a story told from different perspectives doesn't mean that you necessarily draw a straight line between it and this particular episode of Star Trek. I'd also throw in a little-known movie called Citizen Kane, in which the uh, the the story of the character is told from multiple multiple perspective, and we allow the audience to kind of build their idea of who this person is. So, it, it is a it is a format. It is a device, a literary device that is used um, more times than just Rashomon and just this episode of Star Trek. In case you're wondering, let's talk about guest stars. Craig Richard Nelson played Craig. Um, he has a long career as a TV guest star actor, less so in the 21st century. Most of his stuff was done by the late 90s. Uh, he had a recurring role on Mary Hartman and Mary Hartman. He appeared on everything from courtroom shows, of course, to sitcoms. Uh, he makes one more appearance uh, with us on Star Trek Voyager. Uh, Gina Hecht, and I am pronouncing that correctly, as Manua. Uh, she has appeared recently on shows like Hung and Glee, but she may be best known to TV audiences for playing George's psychiatrist, Dana, on uh, Seinfeld. Hmm. Now, early in her career, she shows up in movies like Night Shift and St. Elmo's Fire. Uh, we have here Mark Margolis as Dr. Apgar, really extensive career starting back in the 1970s. You've seen him on everything from Oz to Kojak to Breaking Bad to American Horror Story. And finally, we have Julia Donald as Tana, again, an actor with just a huge list of TV credits. And she will appear with us again later on Deep Space Nine. And I, I was so thrilled to see that she co-starred in the Muppets Take Manhattan. She was Jenny in that movie. So she was not a Muppet. She was a human. It is 4.43 in the a.m., and you are listening to the recap of A Matter of Perspective. Lionel Osborne could not be here today, so here is John. Prologue. We open with a lesson in fine art. Captain Picard is painting along with a few other crew members... Data shows up and levels a bit of criticism toward the captain's work. A career in painting may not be the thing Picard takes up when he retires from Starfleet. Just as well, the Enterprise has returned from a short mission in time to pick up Commander Riker from the scientific station in orbit around Tanuga 4. Jordalia Forge has already returned, and he's hemming and hawing about telling Picard what exactly is happening over there with Riker. Whatever it is, it's tense and William T. is ready to leave, as we can tell by the sound of his voice. Chief O'Brien starts a transporter. There's a weird energy drain on the station, and just before Riker rematerializes, the station is gone in a violent explosion. Act 1. At the time of the explosion, one person was on board the station, Dr. Apgar. He had been working on a method of generating Krieger waves, and the Federation was interested in his research. There's no immediate explanation for the explosion or that weird energy drain or that weird expression on Riker's face. He's uncomfortable as can be. 
but he assures the captain it's unrelated to whatever is going on. Then a call comes through that Inspector Cragg from the Tanugan Security Force would like to come aboard. Worf greets Cragg, and Cragg gets right to business. He is here to take Riker into custody on suspicion of murder. Not so fast. Picard is willing to hear out Cragg in private, and Cragg explains that two witnesses report Riker having threatened the late Dr. Apgar. Now, if Picard will just kindly hand over his first officer... This is a tricky situation made trickier when you realize that the Federation plays by the local laws, which means that Riker is guilty until proven innocent. So Picard will play along, even allowing Riker to be extradited. But this all comes down to the quality of the evidence presented. Craig wants to return to Tanuga, but Picard has a better idea. They will use the holodeck to recreate in detail all of the events that led to the death of Dr. Apgar. Act 2. The stage is set. Data has spent 18 hours programming the holodeck to look and act like the interior of the doomed space station to within an 8.7% margin of error. The participants take their seats. Craig, Picard, Riker, and Deanna Troy. And the first simulation to run is Riker's. It's his perspective of everything that happened. So let's see. He and Jordy beam aboard. They meet Dr. Apgar and his assistant, Tana. So far, so good. Dr. Apgar is a little off-putting, bristling at the interruption from Starfleet, but Riker assures him they are just there to check on things, not push him. We also meet Dr. Apgar's wife, Manua. She's charming, and she's playing the good hostess by offering a drink. Manua is a little more forward now. She insists that Riker stay on board the station. He says, okay. Cut to his quarters, where Manua is really laying it on thick, Before Riker can say, hey, I'm really not into you like that, in walks Dr. Apgar, who slaps his wife and just misses making a connection between his fist and Riker's jaw. Fast forward to the next morning. Riker is trying to play the whole thing off as a terrible misunderstanding and assures Dr. Apgar the personal incident will not play a role in his official report on the research to Starfleet. Done deal. Riker is ready to get out of there, and the beam out begins. Freeze program. Okay, this is all well and good, but it doesn't explain the explosion or the energy drain that occurred right before it. Craig steps up with his own explanation and then runs his own simulation. At the moment right before beam out, Riker pulled his phaser and fired it directly at the Krieger wave collector. Three seconds later, the station exploded. Act 3. On the bridge, Geordi and Worf are looking at sensor logs that kind of corroborate what we just saw on the holodeck, an energy emission consistent with a phaser coming from Riker's position at the time of beam-out. If it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, well, at least Wesley is less inclined to believe that it really was Riker with a phaser in the lab. While all this is going on, a mysterious radiation output of unknown origin is logged by the ship's computer. Strong enough to have punched a hole in some of the Enterprise wall plating. Don't worry about that, though. Probably has nothing to do with the courtroom drama. Now back to that. In walks Manua, widow of the late Dr. Apgar. And now we get to see a holodeck simulation based on her version of the events. It's a little different than what we've already seen. Oh, sure, the people and the location are the same. But the characterization is not. Manua is the devoted, concerned wife. Dr. Apgar is the misunderstood genius. Riker is... rapey? Yeah. In the moment in which Manua is showing the commander his quarters, he dips into full-on sexual assault territory. It is only that Dr. Apgar happens to be passing by that the scene is broken up, and this Riker even lands a few punches on the doctor as well. When that version of the simulation ends, Deanna comforts Riker in the only way she can by saying that Manua is telling the truth from her point of view. Meanwhile, in sickbay, Dr. Crusher is tending to a patient when Worf calls for her to evacuate. Remember that totally unrelated, purely coincidental radiation burst from earlier? Another one is about to land. When it does, it starts eating a hole in one of the walls in Dr. Crusher's lab. Act 4. The radiation leak is dangerous, particularly if the next one shows up close enough to engineering. And know what else is weird? The bursts are happening exactly 5 hours, 20 minutes, and 3 seconds apart. Oh, you want more weirdness? 
the space station blew up at about four times that period away yesterday, except for a .0014 second variable. If only this was all related somehow. Back to the holodeck. Now it's Tana, the lab assistant's turn. Her take is a little different since her testimony is actually based on the conversation she had with Dr. Apgar. Picard correctly points out that it's hearsay, but Craig says it is admissible in their legal system. So what do we get? We get the heroic Dr. Apgar breaking up the lecherous Riker's embrace with Manua. After the ensuing fight in which Apgar gets in some really good punches this time, Riker threatens, you're a dead man, Apgar. That scene is followed by Dr. Apgar begging Tana to beam down to the planet with Manua. He says he'll take care of things. Tana left, but she says that she knew as soon as she heard about the station that Riker was the one who killed Dr. Apgar. The evidence is stunning, and Picard finds himself in the position of having to allow extradition. Before he can get to that, though, remember that totally weird and totally unrelated radiation burst? I thought you did. Turns out there was a totally harmless field generator switched on down on the planet's surface. It emits a pulse every 5 hours, 20 minutes, and 3 seconds, just like clockwork. Oh, and now they know how the station blew up, but you'll have to wait until after the commercial to find out how. Act 5. Time for another trip to the holodeck. Picard puts on his Columbo outfit, and now it's time for a mashup of all the greatest hits we've seen so far. The Krieger waves Dr. Apgar said he couldn't create are actually being created. The holodeck recreation was doing too good a job at recreating the doctor's lab and actually making Krieger waves from the energy pulses on the planet. Everything worked, but Dr. Apgar was keeping it quiet. Why? Well, he stood to profit. As a power source, Krieger waves aren't worth much, but as a potential weapon to another buyer... Well, Dr. Apgar may have been making a deal with the devil. He also needed to get Riker and the Federation out of the way. When Riker was ready to leave, Dr. Apgar took the controls of his generator and actually had a burst reflect from the Krieger wave collector onto Riker's transporter beam. When they run that simulation in the holodeck, well, to coin a phrase, it blew it up real good. Empty holodeck. An apologetic crag says he withdraws his accusation about Riker. Not much more to say, other than Riker giving the order to get as far away from Tanuga 4 as the Enterprise can take them. The end. Was it a uh, Krieger Wave collector or converter? Well, that was the converter. So the, okay. the, the, you had the lambda radiation coming from the generator, and yep. it pops up to the collector, and it, it collects, and it reflects, and it coils, and it, boy, <laughs> does it just do a good job at that, and then it spits out Krieger waves. Okay, and it comes out here. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Nice, yeah. Now, I will say, while the Krieger yeah. waves are cool, they should totally check out Krieger's van. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's awesome. I hope yeah. that joke makes sense to somebody. <laughs> um. So I, this is kind of a weird question for you, but, but go with me on this for a minute because it actually ties into a reader e- or a listener email that we got. Okay. Um, was the model in the opening art scene real or a holodeck simulation? Because here's the thing. If she's real, yeah, is that something that the crew manifests, make sure that they have on board? <laughs> or or is this just something that after three years in space, it's just like, ah, we've been out here so long, I'm bored, I'm gonna, I'll be a nude art model. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Look, I mean, there are kinks across the ages. Sure. Maybe she's an exhibitionist. Okay. Maybe there's a dude exhibitionist, too. It's like every now and then it's like, yeah, you know, I don't really feel like the captain notices me. Not the way I want him <laughs> right. to. Tell you what I'm right. going to do. I'm yeah. going to get naked and stand in front of the cap. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard he likes fine art paintings. Yes, so exactly. So, right. that. And maybe, you know, it was Counselor Troy who said, okay, I'm liking your initiative, but why don't we find like a like a good way to do this, a way that maybe won't get you uh, dropped off in the brig. We had um, a listener, Judy, write in, and uh, she she said something that I thought was pretty interesting, because there's a little more serious take on it than than my positing a kind of a weird question. Mm-hmm. Um, but she mentioned NYPD Blue, mm. and I believe that was the first network show 
that actually showed the nude backside of a person, a woman, I believe, or maybe it was men. Maybe it was Dennis Franz. I thought it was Dennis Franz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but then I speculated. Well, you know, Star Trek was a syndicated show, mm-hmm. so they they could really get away with whatever they wanted to, as long as they felt like it wouldn't get them completely taken off the air in that particular market where the episode was aired. Well, we're awfully weird about sex and TV in the states. I'm I mean, saying that's just us. Yeah, well, no, <laughs> yeah. I go to Europe and I'm totally fine with it. But yeah, I, totally. I mean, here I'm I'm, I'm a nut. No, right. um, it, it, um, she was pretty naked, but she wasn't oh, yeah. naked. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the, it, it's dumb what we are like cool with and and yeah. and where we um, draw the line. And and I think yeah. actually there is a there is a particular line that this episode does not cross. And mm-hmm. so then it's just like, oh, well, that's sort of risque as opposed to, well, that woman's naked. Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. It's, it's very, uh, it, you know, it, it sounds kind of dumb to say it. But, yeah, it's very artsy. It's very classy the way they do it. But it is shocking that you haven't seen Star Trek really do that before. <laughs> you know, mm. you typically don't open an episode of Star Trek with a nude woman. Yeah, that's no, that's, that's true. You typically... So my hat is, you know, my hat is off to them for pushing the envelope for sure. All right. You know, I think it's the kind of thing that they would, or at least Gene would have wanted to do <laughs> from way back in the beginning. Well, see also what are little girls made of. Yeah. Totally. yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Gene Roddenberry is what was stopping them from having scantily clad women on. Oh no. On no, no or no. or or not clad for that matter. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I do think Data is being a little hard on the captain's work, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, at that point, it's like, who wants criticism from you, Mister Android? Um, but I do have to say the other work was derivative too. And, and interesting is kind of the kiss of death. You know, yes. What do you think about it? Oh, it's it's interesting. Yes, I, and and it's you know here's the thing. I don't know. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion lately on on our Twitter feed about whether or not Data feels emotion. Yeah, and yeah. and and all of that. Um, he's obviously a little nervous. He feels yeah. nervous. Unless yeah. he's just supposed to act like he feels, and so he acts like he feels nervous. He doesn't really want to tell Picard what he thinks. <laughs> and right. so he says, interesting, and then Picard asks for it. Oh, in what way? And he's like, okay, well, it's not really interesting. You suck. That's <laughs> basically what the rest of it boils down to. Right. Um, speaking, though, of, 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 of saying and, and not saying but implying and, and things like that, um, I really like what happens between uh, Picard and Riker mm-hmm. when Krag comes on. Uh, because uh, Picard and Riker, um, so Picard says he wants to talk to Craig about about you know, Craig trying to take Riker into custody, right. and he just shuts Riker out of the discussion. But he does it in a way that does not belittle him. In fact, he 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 does he says in a very forceful manner. You know, um, number one, you have the bridge. I mean, he says it loud, right? And it's a simple mm-hmm. way to say to mm-hmm. the bridge crew and the security guy Craig, and to uh, and to Riker. Uh, that Riker still has Picard's faith and confidence, yeah. Uh, you know, right until he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> because, right, right. because by the end of Act One, which is only like four minutes later, I guess screen time, maybe even less than that, Riker's like, "Hey, can we talk, Captain Picard?" And Picard's like, "Yeah, that's I really can't talk to you right now. <laughs> that, that would be inappropriate," is what he says. Right. It's not like you know, it's not like on Leave It to Beaver where Dad didn't want to talk to Beaver because he had disappointed him. It's more like. Yeah, no, we, you know, we have to, we have to keep this looking, you know, kosher and it would not be kosher for me to talk to you right this minute. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I love that scene. And, um, it, there's a lot going on in that point. And then when Picard and Craig move into the ready room, um, there's a, a chunk of dialogue. Craig says, would you say that you are close to your first officer? And then by the time we get to the end of that, Picard saying, I give you my word as a Starfleet officer that they won't leave the system. And honestly, I found that that whole exchange to be some of the more interesting ideas in the episode This kind of presented and then dropped. Hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, the idea of, of Picard's loyalty really being um, uh, at issue here because the episode becomes a lot less about that. It just becomes about the evidence and how we present it and then trying to outsmart what's going on, trying to get to the truth of the matter here. But the idea of Picard actually having to stand up for somebody who may or may not be, uh, we don't really know. But I thought that was a nice moment of dialogue. What I thought was even more interesting than that is the shot through the door. Picard calls Data into his ready room. And we just see Riker 
peeking through, just standing there. And yeah. It's like, right, shouldn't you be in the captain's chair, Riker? Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't really be there. It's And one wonders, was he standing outside the door the whole time, or was it only when Data gets called in? Right, and he just jumps up, like, uh, what, what uh-huh, what? Yeah. Is everything okay? Do you guys need anything? No? Okay. <laughs> I'll still be out here. Right. Yeah, it was really. It was. It was a funny. It was actually a funny shot. It was. It was. It was kind of sad, but it was really funny. Was that too? Um, so, if we are given to believe that these stories are being told as these people believe them, yeah, right. Riker's default position is she totally wants me. Oh yeah, is that correct? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. Which is kind of what happened with uh, Uta. Utah, Utah, Utah. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, what happened yeah. with Utah. He assumed, oh yeah, she totally wants me, and you know, we talked about that. I think when we did our episode, she's giving him absolutely no sign, but he's like, he's, he's reading all the signs. Oh yeah, she totally <laughs> wants me. It's interesting that right. at the end of this episode, if we assume that everybody's telling is exactly how they saw it, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and wow, wow. Yeah. Riker has no ego problems, except for maybe a, a, a surplus of ego, perhaps. <laughs> well, because here's the thing. You know, everything that happens in the holodeck simulation mm-hmm. is based on their testimony, based on their deposition, mm-hmm. which they, they did in a very short period of time. They, they got all of this done in 18 hours, right? Right. But you know that somewhere in the deposition – um, Craig asked Riker, okay, so, you know, what, what was the state of things? Uh, what was their reaction like to you? And Riker's like, she was totally coming on to me. Yeah, absolutely. Make well, sure you get that down on paper. Th- now, did he do that deposition with Craig, though, or did he just do that into the computer? Was he just, like, doing story time? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, it could have just been in the computer. But then the computer is like, yeah, I know you, Riker. <laughs> 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 I know you, we've Riker. Had a, we've had a thing before. Oh, yeah. you, you just tripped a musical thing in my head now. I know you, Riker. It's <laughs> going to be a, yeah. We'll right. do that at the next convention we're both at. It'll be fantastic. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the episode, it was shot very conventionally. The, this is a bottle show. Everything's on the ship. And even the one set that we get that's not on the ship is clearly made up of parts they had um but i kept wondering what the scene changes look like to the people sitting in the holodeck because it was kind of interesting you know we get a little hint of that at one moment where the the people fade out and then the room fades out and then a room fades in and the people fade in again and get the little whoosh sound effect to to make you hear that but to our perspective as the viewer, we actually cut we go into another room the camera pulls back from the champagne glasses And it's in moments like that that you think, what exactly is the computer doing? Are we seeing a cutaway of the wall into the other room? Or do we actually stop and go into the room after people walk around a corner? It was really, you know, it's just kind of wild. The computer has got to be thinking through all of that to present the right perspective to the people who were sitting there watching. And, And hopefully also compensating for any motion sickness that that might induce. Yeah, right. Just constantly fading in, fading out. It's like it's like worse than watching a Woody Allen movie on the big screen, right? <laughs> right. When, you know, when he went through his handheld camera phase in like the yep. mid to late nineties, I guess. Right. Yeah, right. that would man. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep, clean up in the holodeck. Yeah, yeah right. I'll be right. right there. And speaking of the holodeck, you know, interesting that the table and the chairs in the holodeck were real, and everything else was simulated. Well. But, it's a holodeck defined real and simulated. Although you're right, once yeah, once yeah. the space station goes away, they are still sitting, right? Would have so, been funny actually if when the whole thing had blown up, they all like <laughs> fell on the ground. They're all just they they got yeah yeah the right. chair the chairs the table are gone and, right. and not hit by got, shrapnel. Don't misunderstand. Yeah, I was saying they got black smudges <laughs> all over their faces. <laughs> You know. Like a cartoon. Like they they all look like yeah. Yosemite Sam at the end of right. <laughs> singed hair and, and, yeah. and soot all over but their it, faces. But it made me wonder, is the explosion real or was the explosion simulated and the computer thought, okay, well rather than just show open space and wreckage, I'll show the holodeck walls again. <sighs> is okay, wait a minute. Is this actually a thing or is this a thing? No, no, it's not really a thing, but right. it, it's an interesting choice. It is weird. Yeah. I, yeah. My assumption is it's 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 a bit of artistic license on the part of the writer. Like we'll have everything we'll have everything explode but then also disappear and nobody'll get hurt and they won't feel heat or a blast and it'll yeah, I don't know. 
I, I actually got caught on on something else that was much more bloopier in a okay. way. Okay. Okay. Um, rather than actually doing an optical printer like freeze frame when they would say freeze program. Yeah. A couple of times anyway, the actors would just stand still. Yes. And that's a great yes. way to save money. That's totally fine. Yeah. Except that the, the, the flashing lights, the, the number countdown, I mean, because Apgar's uh, control panel is going insane with, yeah. with flashing and blinking and, and, and running and, and, and all stuff. Yeah, all that. Yeah. And uh, when they say freeze program, uh, apparently that part of the program didn't hear. And that, <laughs> that was honestly, that was enough that like the first time I was watching it, I was like, oh, well, that's dumb. And and I, I I hate to be that guy, but it completely took me out of it because it seems to me, and I even thought, okay, well, when I was thinking about it, you know, before I watched it again, I was like, okay, so was somebody standing there, and is that why they did that? I mean, was was like Riker standing in front of those two people, and so it would be harder to do sort of a comp? No, right. There's, there's nobody standing in front of anything when that happens. It's just yeah, we'll just have them freeze, which is great right. if you want to have them freeze, but make sure you'd like block out those numbers because. It it really that honestly took me out of it. Yeah, because I know I said freeze. I said freeze everything. Yeah, freeze it all. Yeah, not just not just the people and make that part creepy. <laughs> you know, but it's, they, like, they it's did, like it's like the end of the Naked Gun or a, a Police Squad. It's <laughs> police like the end squad. of Police Squad. Yes, yes. <laughs> just roll the credits. Coffee yeah. keeps pouring, even though uh, yeah, everybody's yeah. in freeze frame now, but not really. But you know, they did do it at least once where you've got a scene in uh, Riker's quarters where yeah. it's getting a little intimate and real Riker walks behind virtual Riker and it's really well done. Um, but when you're watching it, even in HD, um, you can tell that it was printed. Yeah. So you, it's a, goes a little bit darker and a little bit fuzzier, but it's still a really nicely done effect. Who did you say was having so much trouble? Was it Michael Piller you said that was having trouble with the way it came together? Well, pillar for the story, Cliff Bull for direction. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, hats off to Cliff Bull for doing as good a job as he did. Because sometimes yeah, they yeah. do freeze, sometimes they don't. You know, so right. Um, I, I mean, it's a, it's an expensive and difficult effect to do it. At least in 1990, it was sure. Um, so I get it. You only do that once, and you make it count. You know. Well, they they did it more than once, though. Because I mean, there was another time I think when they when when Picard was doing the greatest hits, as you said, yeah, yeah. Uh, when Picard was doing the greatest hits, they 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 froze it on a face that she never would have been able to hold for nearly as long as she had to. Oh right. Yeah, but I mean, there's yeah. a difference, I guess, between you know actually just doing a freeze frame and then doing a freeze frame where you can like walk around behind it and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I got a new rule that I would like to suggest for for Starfleet. Okay. Or maybe just for everyone. You know, you got like a two year old in the house, right? You make mm-hmm. sure the knives are above a certain level. You make sure there's a lock on the cabinet to make sure that they can't drink the you know stuff that's under the under the sink. Mm-hmm. Um, can we make a rule that anything that can cause a whole space station to explode, like maybe a, a Krieger wave uh, converter or collector, or mm-hmm. anything that can make a whole starship explode, like say a warp core, um, can those things be hidden <laughs> or, or like <laughs> shielded, or just maybe not in the middle of the room? Right, because right. it's literally right in the middle of the place where they beamed in. There's right. no entryway. There's no vestibule. There's no, well, here's our receiving area. And now if you'd like to come see the scary science stuff. Yeah. No, he's like beam in like three feet from the scary science stuff. Right. I'm thinking right. it might be a better idea to maybe, maybe, you know, keep that on another floor or welcome people in a different part of the house. Yeah. Then they literally walk around the corner to have their glass of champagne. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like. It's sort of like, Ken, if you were to redesign your car and you thought, you know, it would be more efficient rather than having the engine under the hood behind a firewall in front of me, I'll put it right down between the front two seats. Exactly. And that's how I'll drive from now on. Exactly. Or just a passenger seat, maybe. Yeah, you know, you yeah, don't mind exactly. sitting in back, do you? Cause... All right. All right. Um, glad to see the return of Transporter Magic because um, actually this time the Transporter can bounce a beam back. Yeah. We didn't know that that could happen before so that was kind of cool and and by, by the end of this episode i honestly i felt kind of bad for uh tina and manua because literally the end was just like you know oh hey pat on the back we get to leave here sorry ladies dr apgar was petty and jealous and a murderer bye the recap presented by john was interesting though i will say I remembered the episode completely differently. So let's talk about the fact that Starfleet doesn't pay well. Or should we talk about the idea that Starfleet actually pays? 
Oh, okay. I don't know which yeah. one we should talk about because we're given to understand, and again, we've, we've had this discussion all the way back to the original series when we were covering the original series. Mm-hmm. We're given to understand that money is like a, like, a, like a thing that used to happen. doesn't happen mm-hmm. anymore. I think actually um, doesn't Kirk – Kirk sells his glasses in Star Trek IV because he has forgotten that they're going to need currency, Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so, and it's it's the one you know, it's the one thing he's got. They're old, even in twentieth century, they're old. So he sells those, and he gets a little bit of currency, and he divides it up among everybody. Sure. Troy says that Apgar um, would not have earned great rewards from Starfleet for um, the Krieger Wave thing that he's working on, because all Starfleet wanted it for was for a power source. But Jordy picks up and says, if you could turn the Krieger Wave converter into a weapon, well, then that's yeah, big money, no whammies. Except, of course, for the whammy that ends with the space station block. <laughs> right, I, actually, right. I actually would qualify as a whammy, I'm pretty sure. There's so much here that I don't that I don't get. So does Starfleet have something like currency? So if they go to somebody like Apgar, who is profit-driven, they then they can actually go ahead and give them something, even though we don't have that where we are, first of all. And second... How dopey is Starfleet that? Yeah, we're not going to pay much for a good, clean energy source. We're, yeah. you know, we're looking for we're looking for a way to to do energy better than we do now. And may I remind you, we've got the lithium crystals, we got warp drive, we we can transport people from here to hell and back. We we yeah. got we got phasers that everybody keeps on their hip, and they can shoot, you right. know, to a point. Uh, we had a guy last week actually move a moon uh, <laughs> using using a uh, using a tractor beam. Right. So we got energy, but we're looking mm-hmm. for better energy. <laughs> we're not going to pay yeah. anything like we would pay, say, you know, if somebody wanted to kill a guy. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a, and it's not really, I guess it kind of is a point of the episode because it turns out that it's this guy's, I don't necessarily want to say it's his greed because what he wants to do is right by his woman, right? Mm-hmm. But, but it's this guy's profit motive, I'm not just saying any profit, but like wanting wanting a good deal of profit mm-hmm. that ends up leading to his demise. And yeah. and 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 we can talk about that part of that a bit later if you want to. I'm really confused by the fact that Starfleet, which is supposed to be this, you know, um, post scarcity, or at least we've always assumed is sort of this post scarcity environment, this post scarcity economy. Starfleet, which is which is just bathing in energy, right? Right. right. Uh, needs new energy, but they're not going to make it worth this guy's while. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a difficult thing. I mean, first of all, uh, his wife has expensive tastes. That we we can pick that up for sure. You think? Uh, well, apparently, because she doesn't think it, so. When she tells her story, she's like, "I got everything I need." Yeah, that's that's not what's going on. Heartbreaker, <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead. <laughs> but no, um, that is the difficult part about this story, because at least in making it all add up, because that is his undoing. Mm-hmm. Like I said, his profit motive, and you have to assume that whatever the Federation has to offer, it's there is even, some what, value to it. There's one thing. It's not just a profit motive, though. It's greed. Except yeah, yeah, you don't yeah, want to yeah. say it's greed because it's for somebody else. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want anybody to hear this and go, oh, there the mission log guys are again saying profit's bad because we're not. We <laughs> right. want him to benefit from what he's doing. I'm actually weirded out by the fact that Starfleet's not paying a lot. Yeah. But, but yeah. So I mean, so I mean, let's just be clear. It's not his profit motive. It might be his greed or the fact that you know somebody else will pay more than. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So I apologize for interrupting. I just didn't. No, 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 no. But but that's just the thing. I mean, um, Starfleet has to have something of value. So even if that thing, remember back with uh, the survivors, you know, they tried to bring uh, Kevin a a replicator. Say, look, here's this thing that you don't have, and, and you can create anything you want to with it. You can make fresh water. You can make food. You can make whatever you want. He's like, ah, I don't need that because we didn't know that he was an alien with godlike powers at the moment. But right. <laughs> that, that's okay. But that is a thing that has value. Mm-hmm. You know? So maybe they have been making a habit of trading with stuff like that, trading with technology so it has value. Um, maybe for a guy like Apgar, um, if he had a – well, I can't even say that it would be a replicator because clearly the guy is lousy with Federation technology anyway. Right. I mean, he's working out a regular one. I don't, think, I don't think they're having champagne shipped in. 
No. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What What is it that a Romulan buyer or a Ferengi buyer or whatever could have offered him that he couldn't get or make? Right. If he had a better relationship with the Federation. Because then I'm trying to think, okay, so maybe it is, maybe it's something that would be a value on his planet. Let's say he leaves regular one, he goes back down to the planet, and suddenly he's lousy with money. And then Craig says, wow, Federation pays really good, huh? And he's going to be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Starfleet pays great. And it's not about, you know, the fact that he actually sold it to the Romulans or the, or the, um, or the, um, or the Ferengi or whomever. Unless it's yeah. going to be, okay, well, no, what they're going to do is they're going to give him a moon or they're going to give him a planet. Oh, okay, great. Then all he has to do is live in exile forever. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it just – and it's it, – here's the thing. This is half like is this a failing on the part of Starfleet or is this a failing on the part of this story? Because, I mean, for yeah, him right. to really be driven by profit – I mean, to be driven by greed, not just profit. To be dr- yeah. driven yeah, by yeah. greed – then raises too many questions about well, what, so what was he going to get exactly? It's not like it's not like there's one universal currency because again in mm-hmm. the Federation, as far as we know, there's no currency. Mm-hmm. So what were they going to pay him? And then what does he think that somebody else is going to give him that would be worth more? Dude has got a space station. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, we don't know. I mean, this could be like a university telescope. Maybe dude has got a space station for six months. Uh, right? Okay. So yeah, maybe true, he gets true. to work on Krieger yeah. waves, and at the end of his six right. months, well, his six months are up, and now, like, too bad. Back to your studio apartment. Exactly. Now yeah, Cal yeah. Poly's coming in because they got to <laughs> they got to aim this thing at some distant star cluster they want to look at from really far away. See, it's all about right. perspective. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. boy, you're good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of fascinated by the idea of a holodeck as a forensics tool. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it does get into that creepy territory again of recreating dead people so you can interact with them. But seriously, how amazing would it be to recreate crime scenes down to the very last detail in virtual space in order to help solve crimes? I mean, I, I know that we can kind of do it now. I can't tell you how many times I've watched modern documentaries using computer models to recreate things like Whitechapel in 1888 or the, the sinking of the Wilhelm Gustav. And if you haven't seen that documentary, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what an amazing tool to be able to do that. But I'm still left with this weird part about that 8.7% that maybe is just being made up by the computer. I was honestly horrified by that. I, yeah. I actually yeah. called out, mm-hmm. wait a minute. That's like, that's like almost one in 10, mm-hmm. like, like nine, yeah, yeah, nine yeah. times out of 10, this is going to be correct. That one other time though, where we're right. deciding a man's life and future. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like it would have value in that you could sort of walk through the scene. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, if, if you're the investigator, you can walk through and say, okay, here are all the details because obviously at a crime scene, you know, things get cleaned up, they get moved away. You have to do investigation elsewhere. But to be able to actually recreate the scene and walk through it and say, okay, these are the steps that person took. These are the tools they had available to them. But that's all great. But when you start putting words in the mouths of these people, then it gets really creepy. Yeah. uh, The other thing, also 8.7% accuracy, and yet it was able to completely uh, recreate the Krieger uh, collector, converter, whatever. Well, I figure that's the thing that they actually have plans for. So the Enterprise computer could look at the the plans that they had for the Krieger wave collector. Mm, okay. Fine, it, it can make that. The thing that worries me is, all right, Ken, if you and I were, and we record this, obviously, but if you and I were asked three days from now, to recreate the conversation that we had today, mm-hmm. we couldn't do it. Right. <laughs> you know? So even under a deposition, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd be like, yeah, Ken said some things, and then I said some things, and we talked about Star Trek, and there you go. But here you've actually got the computer simulating intent and personality. Like, it's really strange. Whoa, it's a, that's, not, that's not completely true, though. I mean, no? that, that's and, and this is where we sort of go to the whole question of the deposition. Did Riker just sit down and talk and talk and talk to the computer? And did Manua do the same thing? And did Tana do the mm. same thing? I mean, the computer is not deciding motive. The computer is acting the parts that Riker said. 
So I said, no, it's okay. We got a place to stay on the planet. And then she said, no, no, it's okay. You really should stay with us. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's, I mean, it's, it, it's not the computer doing that. Well, no, but, but yeah, I get it. But I mean, then that means that Riker has really got to be leading it, leading the computer to say, and then she was totally looking me up and down. And then I was totally yeah, creeped I out. That too. But then she kept she looking like, at me. She and, kept like sort of playing with her chest, but not mm-hmm. exactly, you know, well, mm-hmm. no, not like that. Oh my God, computer, that's obscene. No, no, no. More <laughs> right, like, you know, right. more come hither. Okay. Yeah. yeah like that. See? Good. Okay. See? Yes. Yeah. Her nails were also freakish, by the way. Make make them freakish. <laughs> they were. No, freakier. Okay, good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, what the what this is really about is the, the, the faults of human perception and memory. And, and I love stuff like this. And we, we've talked about it before, how memory isn't just a videotape that you play back in your head, but, but rather it's a construct. It's a, you are making up memories to fit the narrative that you have about your life at that moment, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, and, and I think through the whole thing, you know, I was thinking about how hard it would be for us to recreate a conversation uh, under, even under deposition and, and that kind of detail. And that's what really kind of worried me about how much the computer is doing or inferring to get from point A to point B. So if Riker says, um, I beamed in, I said this thing, it got a little tense with Dr. Apgar. So then I started talking, talking to Manua, but then she was coming on to me. Then the computer's got to say, okay, I know Riker. I know enough about Riker's personal life to be able to uh, give Manua the come hither look. So I will create that in this simulation, you know? Because we don't know how much of Manua has actually been recorded. We know that on the Enterprise, everything gets recorded all the time. So you can pretty much recreate anything at any given point if it was something that occurred on the Enterprise. But if it was mm-hmm. something that happened with somebody that the Enterprise computer doesn't know and you're just pulling, eh, here's some photos, here's this, here's that, you know. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's a little creepy. And I, I wouldn't rely on it as evidence. But I guess, I don't know, I guess all the whistles and bells are pretty impressive to crag. Well, the other thing too, though, is remember, this actually isn't the trial. This is just... Oh, no, it's, it's discovery. Just, yeah. Right, putting all the pieces together to decide whether or not Riker should actually be... Um, right sent down to the planet where he would actually face a trial, which right. would which would probably have less fact. Right, right. <laughs> probably have less evidence or at least less, you know, scenery. Yeah, yeah. Than yeah. what's going on in the, uh, than what's going on in the Enterprise. Yeah. There's another kind of interesting logical trick going on here that I, that I liked a lot. I like discovering it in this episode. And, and admittedly, I'm stealing very heavily here from a show that I've mentioned before, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe podcast, because I think they covered it better than just about anybody where I read about it. And the discussion was about a test that was in the New York Times um, in which the user had to guess a sequence of numbers based on an original sequence. So the original sequence was 248. So, Ken, if I were to throw that to you and just say, okay, 248, so what is, I, what, what is another sequence of numbers that fits that rule? Well, I was given to understand that there would be no math in this debate. <laughs> there, there won't. There, there, here, I'm going to spoil one three, uh, one, three, six? Sure. Would that work? Sure. I don't even sure. know. Yeah, you know what, what else No, would it would actually, uh, one, two, four would actually work better, wouldn't it? That, well, that would work. And you know what else would work? Mm-hmm. Uh, 13, 19, 102. I don't want to play anymore. All right, here's the thing. <laughs> so the trick was this. The, the trick was that if, you, if you're given uh, limited information like that, two, four, eight, mm-hmm. then you might think, oh, okay, so the, the number sequence doubles. Right. That, that's, that's the trick, right? Well, yeah. In that case, the sequence doubles, but the only rule that was actually set up is just the numbers increase. That's it. Hmm. So as long as they're increasing numbers, they actually fit the rule. And the rule is that each subsequent number has to be higher than the previous number. No big deal. And the idea here is that you, you tend to stop when you think you know what the answer is rather than learning what the underlying rule is. And that's confirmation bias. And this episode is rife with it. So it was kind of cool to see that play out. Craig, the inspector, decides right away that the energy drain was caused by a phaser. Now, there's no evidence to support that. 
that there's only evidence that an energy drain took place. No, but it's consistent. no, no. There's, what do you mean? No, there's evidence that the energy drain took place, and there's evidence that something went straight from Riker straight to the Krieger wave collector. Mm-hmm. Yep, but there's no evidence that a phaser specifically was fired. So yes, no. it is consistent. Right, it is consistent, but. It's not the complete picture. It's not the whole story. Right. He has a theory that works, but it is an incomplete theory. So he stops. Now, what's interesting to see is that Data, Jordy, Wesley, etc., they have a different motivation. Obviously, they believe their friend. So they're motivated by that. But they are also in the process of discovering what's going on with that weird radiation burst. They actually figure out that the rule is bigger than the smaller rule that they're focusing on. So I thought that was kind of a cool uh, logical display of, uh, of confirmation bias happening. The case against Commander Riker has been dismissed. Now, it is time for the judgment of this episode. Kind of like law and order and law and order. Yes. On the Enterprise. So uh, tell me, before we get into morals and meanings messages, does the episode hold up? I don't think so. This to me is you say to me that we get a holodeck episode, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, we're in for something good. Uh-huh. This is probably the most boring holodeck episode ever. Certainly the most boring holodeck episode we've come across so far. Now, I like the fact that you found it interesting to think about the holodeck in terms of a uh, sort of a forensic tool. Mm-hmm. I prefer, you know, holodeck episodes that, that, that I don't know. I, I like Moriarty. I miss Minuet. You know, I like the, I like the holodeck episodes that, that, that question our place in the universe, not just, you know, yeah. whether this is a good, whether this is a good tool to use or something like that. Sure. Um, you say let's do this before we do the uh, messages and morals and all that. The problem is I I find all of that's <sighs> this episode to me fails on many levels. I have a hard time believing that they would each remember the events so differently. I mean, I, I, I've definitely been in situations where I remember saying something and somebody else might remember me saying the same thing, but they heard a different intonation or they remember me saying something entirely different. And if you're a human being on this planet, you've had that happen to you as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean for that to sound mean, but somebody may have heard it that way. I mean, that's you know kind of the point, right? Riker distinctly remembers Manua coming on to him. She distinctly remembers him trying to rape her. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that such inconsistencies in, in, in remembering can't happen, but this goes you know too far too quickly to be believed for me. I would say the only one that is believable, though, mm-hmm. is the hearsay testimony from Tana, because she's reporting his version, Apgar's self-motivated version of of the story. Because remember, he's just telling somebody who didn't see any of this, right? What he wants her to believe. Yes. So that uh, so that was um, an interesting way to play that. Yeah, yeah right. I, I don't even know if I believe that though, because I mean, she is his assistant. She probably. With the exception of Manua, yeah, is probably closer to him than anybody else. And mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. he is actually as consumed with his work as Riker seems to think that Manua thought he was, it's yeah. possible that she's actually closer to Apgar than yeah. his wife yeah. is. And so, yeah, no, she's got a dog in this in this race as well, or a dog. Yeah, let's let's make it a dog race, not a dog. Sure, fight. why not? She's got a dog in this race as well. She's got a sure. horse in this fight. <laughs> She's, horse fighting, by the way, is a, yeah. is a bad, bad thing. So I'm look, glad it, it's been banned. Yeah. If, if the moral here is that there's more than one side to each story, there are much better tellings of that. Um, two oh, yeah. of the last three episodes that we've done, The Hunted and The High Ground, demand looking at an issue from more than one side. Mm-hmm. They demand looking at an issue from more than just, well, here's this telling and this telling is true. They demand that we not just assume that one version of events is the version of events. Yeah. So if that's this moral, eh, I'm not into it. Um, I didn't like how quickly the burden of proof shifted in this episode. What what uh, what Craig says is he's been accused, and so now he is guilty until proven innocent. Well, Picard did not prove him innocent. All Picard did was prove that something else could have happened. 
which here, where someone is innocent until proven guilty, would work. Yes. But what Greg right. has said was, no, 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 he's guilty until proven innocent. They did not prove that Riker did not pull a phaser and fire. They just proved that something else could have happened. Well, yeah, any number mm-hmm. of other things could have happened. And so this whole – the construct of this episode, wow, Riker is is in trouble. He is in the stockade at this point. He's in stocks. He is whatever the thing is. He's in the docket. He's Riker's in trouble. Riker is yeah. now charged. As far as this society is concerned, he is a murderer. I have to prove he didn't do it. I can't, <laughs> but that's going <laughs> to end up being okay. Suddenly, you know, not proving his innocence is enough, and that, that kind of bothered me. And then there's just an inconsistency with the whole, how did the Enterprise just happen to be in line with the Lamba energy generator every five hours and 20 minutes? Mm-hmm. Because if they're on the other side of the planet when that happens, unless they're in geosynchronous orbit, and sorry to be such a geek, but unless they're in geosynchronous orbit, there's no way they would be right above that thing the whole time. And then also, every five hours and 20 minutes, the holodeck has to actually be recreating the lab. Yeah, it has to be on all the time. Right, as opposed yeah. to recreating the guest quarters, because that's the whole thing, right? Oh, we're getting hit with this Lambda energy, and the holodeck has done such a good job at recreating this that it's accidentally recreating a thing that's going to kill uh, the entire ship, possibly. But, um, right, it, it, so the Lambda energy never hit when they weren't in Apgar's lab. And Do you think that if they just leave the holodeck simulation on all the time, that even when the others are out of the room, the virtual versions of Riker, Apgar, and Manuel are like... So you want to run through this again? (laughs) (laughs) So what's my motivation here? Yeah. Good thing, too, by the way, that what Riker really wants to do is direct. He was actually I I, Mm -hmm. I think I might I might believe his uh, telling more than anybody else's because, you know, he's a he's a good director. I I might be confusing him and some other guy. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, So for all those reasons, and I'm sorry, for all those reasons, it just it just doesn't work for me. There's too much. You actually said um, somewhere, maybe it was in the recap, that it was a Columbo episode. Yeah. And to me, it wasn't. It was a Perry Mason episode. Mm. And that may sound goofy, but Columbo was a great character. And Columbo <laughs> would like weasel stuff out. I'm not saying Perry Mason wasn't a great character, but it always felt to me like at the end of a Perry Mason episode, it was just Perry Mason was going to have this idea and he was going to say, as opposed to, you know, Columbo, he was going around finding things out, right? Mm-hmm. It's it just it just it just left me so flat. And then even if I tried to just have fun with it, there were too many times that that I got taken out of it. So I don't know. Yeah. To me, it didn't hold yeah. up. What about you? Um, first of all, so I, I mentioned Rashomon earlier, and yeah. I also saw a lot of notes online of people trying to parallel this with Wolf in the Fold or Court Martial or whatever. And I, I mean, I just felt like, yeah, I, I'll only buy these comparisons on just the faintest surface read of, of what's going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a court procedural. But uh, the the themes, the action, just everything else feels very different. Um, just because there's a trial or an almost trial here doesn't really mean it's the same. Um, it, it's not great. And in fact, it's not very good. I love talking about ideas of memory mm-hmm. and truth versus fact versus perception, et cetera. I think these are great ideas. Um and they managed maybe intentionally or probably not intentionally to get some of that in here. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it, it was a Columbo episode or, an, as you say, a Perry Mason episode. You know, um, There's just so much that doesn't work here. I feel like the story becomes tedious at a certain point. Yeah. Um, the costumes, makeup, and hair don't work. The effects and location – the earnestness of the job on the Krieger waves uh, just kind of all sounds like dialogue from a 50s sci-fi movie, not helped by Tina's very 50s sci-fi movie costume and hair. Um, so a lot of it just... <laughs> a lot of draping lot. going on in her outfit, wasn't there? Yeah, there is, yeah. Tremendous yeah, amount of draping. It was, I, I wasn't yeah. sure. That's really not lab assistant wear, No, I, I don't think. No, Unless just, each one of those little, like, you know, loops is meant to hold an, uh, an instrument mm-hmm. of some sort. <laughs> like, maybe it could be that. Oh, maybe it does. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Uh, give me a sonic screwdriver. Uh, well, no, no, a smaller sonic screwdriver. Oh, okay. Well, yes, I have that. <laughs> That's in this fold here. And that, that Elsa Lancaster hair thing she's got going on there, it was sort of like, uh, I don't know, maybe it was a Krieger wave collector. Maybe that was the missing piece. 
Um, yeah, it just, I, I don't know, it just doesn't work. I mean, so regardless of making fun, and that, it's its unfair. I know it's a TV show from 25 years ago. It's a little unfair to just pick at the things that don't look right, but we've had a lot of episodes that look great and from a production standpoint really do hold up. Yeah. Um, so it, it sort of stands out when you have one that doesn't. But I also just felt like a, a, as pacing, it becomes tedious. Now we're going to play this. Now we're going to play this. Now we're going to play this. And I get that that's the idea is to show you, oh, look, your perspective is different from somebody else's perspective. But it doesn't work as a script. Yeah, see also Star Trek, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's yeah. been one of the big yeah. things all the way through. I was like, oh, wow, this isn't what we thought. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, I I think one of the other things, one of the other places that this episode suffers is the fact that it comes in season three. If this had been a season one episode, it might have actually been good. If this had been halfway Mm -hmm. through season one, we might have been like, well, this is not so bad. Because it's not bad. Well, it's not good. But I mean, it's especially not good for season three at this point. I mean, we've seen some, we've seen just some incredible stuff happen now, in in, uh, mm-hmm. in season three, and uh, and this doesn't belong there. I don't think. What about yeah. uh, what about uh, messages and morals and all that stuff? I, well, I feel like it's not so much a message as it is to stay a study of an idea. So the the study of the idea that. We are very bad at remembering things, and we are very good. <laughs> we are very good at um, at motivated reasoning to get to an objective that we want. Hmm. You know, but that's not a message. That this is sort of like, hey, look, here's this thing that people do. Here's this thing that people do when they're under pressure, or when they're trying to save themselves, or when they're trying to um, present themselves in a certain way. Um, so I don't. It's definitely not a you see Timmy moment. It's not a bonk bonk on the head message. It's just like, hey, let let's see what happens when we when we put the screws on people and make them fight it out and make them have to argue for themselves. That's kind of all I got out of it, hmm. and it's not really a message. Like I said, it's just a study. Hmm. Um, but it's a tedious study at that. Yeah. So what about you? What, what about messages? Uh, I don't know. You could argue, you know, perception. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, deception, rather, uh, leads to destruction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, Apgar's attempted double dealings, uh, maybe trying to sell the Krieger Collector to, uh, you know, bad guys. Well, and, and also his attempt at murder. Uh, yeah, know, that's yeah. they do lead to his demise. Um, but that's a very sort of Sunday school Aesop's fable sort of moral. There's nothing wrong with those, but I mean that's that's really kind of pat. I mean that is very much a you see to me, except nobody says, oh, if only he hadn't been such a greedy bastard. You know. Well, see, and and, and just to to go on that thing about Apgar though, it, it's not like Apgar was this. By the end of it, it's not like you feel like, oh man, Apgar was such a great guy with great motivations. He just got in over his head. All we've learned about Apgar is that he was probably making a deal. He, he was hiding information. Yes. He was making a deal for a weapon. Right. And he was willing to kill to protect it. Right. So that's he's wh- a terrible guy. Well, <laughs> and that's that's why I say guy. you know deception leads yeah. to destruction could be a moral that you could slap on here if you wanted to. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can also make the case for the argument, uh, know what you're doing before you do it. Um, and I'm not saying there's no place for risk, but the Enterprise recreates Apgar's lab without knowing what Apgar was doing exactly, <laughs> uh, which nearly leads to the destruction of the Enterprise. If there's anything redeeming about this episode at all, it's not that it's completely devoid of some sort of meanings. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can pull out of it, but mm-hmm. it'd be more fun to watch a more fun episode of Star Trek, I think. I think we can end a lot of these by saying it would be more fun to watch a more fun episode of Star Trek. You can actually end them all that way. You could end them all <laughs> yeah. that way and say, you know, yeah. it would always be more fun to watch an episode that's more fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> but instead, we'll just end it by saying that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more, much more, at roddenberry.com, so please check us out there. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. I am so excited. This is something that so many people have so been waiting for. Next week, yesterday's Enterprise. Thank you. 
some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Maybe it would always be more fun to be more fun, but I would always rather talk to you people than talk to the finest people in the world. And transmission. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.